Welcome to Vagabond Actors Podcast. We're so excited to have you with us. We have a very interesting main topic today. We're all itching to get into it. Lots of strong opinions. And uh, I'd like to welcome my partners in crime, as always, Brian Casp out of Prague. Hi, Brian. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm pretty good. Yeah. Really? You're good? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Really good. Not, not feeling... Uh, hemmed in in any way. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm about to start class. Um, our classes are starting up again, so Fantastic. we'll see how that goes. Re- repetition in masks. <laughs> and from London, Gary Condis. Hey, Gary. Hello there. How are you doing? Excellent. Well, we're so excited to, um, to be together again. This is Andrea Helene. I'm recording here in Mallorca, Spain. And um, we've got a fantastic topic about acting teachers tonight. Uh, before dun, we dun, it, dun. Uh, the good, bad, and the ugly. Um, before <laughs> we into it, anything you want to share about you know your creative ventures this week since we last spoke? Um, well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm going to ask Brian a question. Actually, is you mentioned you're going to start class again physically? You're going to go back into the studio, yeah, in-person classes. Yeah. How are you going to How are you going to start that? Are you going? I mean, do you have a sense of um, occasion because of what's happened, or are you going to just kick off as normal? Well, I think you can't go into a situation like this without at least mentioning, hey, this is weird that we're back here and that we're wearing masks or that we're social distancing or any of that kind of thing. You have to deal with it on some level, probably checking in with the students and seeing how they're doing and how they're holding up mentally and what they've been doing over the time when we've been under lockdown. So I think I'll bring that up at the beginning of class and just see if anything comes up from that discussion. And then in terms of actually doing the work, we're in this particular class, we're working through some early scene work. And so mostly I am going to try to see how it works with the masks on for the people even that are working. And I think we're just going to have to play it by ear. I I don't want anyone to be unsafe. And I really want to be careful about what exactly we are doing in the classroom and being aware of the, the health situation. But at the same time, it'll be an adventure in trying to figure out what will work when you're in person, but covered up. Right. And in a way, uh, these limitations for the moment, because we know what the ideal is, but you might be able to make a feature of it and you might be able to use it because if you're and it ties into what we were talking about in the last episode about control and the way that energy can often break that. You aren't able to get close, so that means you've got to throw your energy across the, the room. That's right. You know, so... That's right. And and so much information is conveyed through someone's facial expression. Mm-hmm. And in a large part, what their mouth is doing, if it's frowning or smiling or something like that. And if that information is not being conveyed or if you're not picking up on it, uh, then as we were talking about last time, you will have to be more physical. You have to put more of your response into your body rather than just your voice and your face. Right. Which will be a good exploration for a lot of people. Yeah, put the emphasis on the behavior, which is what it's all about in the end. Exactly. You know, you could use it to your advantage for for a little while. Exactly. (laughs) Although, and before we started recording, Andrea and I were talking about, I might invest in those plastic face shields, (laughs) uh, get a bunch of those in the class so that 
you'll be able to see the other person's face. But I actually, I actually like the idea of having the mask and having to not just act, but having to take in the other person through the mask. If we take, you know, Meisner's definition of acting, right? Behaving truthfully under imaginary circumstances. I mean, this is a circumstance, right? That they have to be cautious with each other. They have to be respectful. They have, there's a certain distance that's expected. What happens if that's broached? You know, they're, they're, they have the opportunity to honestly work off of a very particular, unique interaction between the two of them. And that includes the wearing of the masks. And so right. it may be really exciting for an actor to finally, after all of these weeks, to be able to express honestly how they feel about this limitation. Yeah. And also a lot of what we do in my class is about, um, moving towards the other person Mm -hmm. that the energy should be moving towards the other person. And ultimately that might in a normal, in a normal class, that would, that might lead to a physical connection, which if you're prevented through the given circumstances of the world, from having an actual physical connection, but what you really want to do is reach out and hold that person or to touch them in some way that could actually be quite a wonderful obstacle that, Mm -hmm. that actors need to overcome and to explore what that does when through the circumstances, you cannot do that, which you are screaming in your, in your soul to do. That could be really fun. Right. How about you, uh, Andrea? What are you, what have you been up to? What have you seen? some technical issues that I've had to sort out here, um, on submissions and videos and some of the online learning difficulties we've had. So I'm trying to sort of balance the intense amount of time that we spend working with the technology with just some, some simple, simple moments in the day, you know, trying to get outside now that my daughter can go outside and uh, get some fresh air and, and balance it all out because you know, it can be, it can be frustrating when things aren't as easy as you want them to be. So, but, uh, you know, we're doing fine. We're doing fine. We're healthy. We're, we've got space. We're good. All right. What about you, Gary? I've sensed a real growth of activity, online activity that people are involved in the sort of necessity to feel like you have to do something. Whereas in the beginning I was part of that and creating a lot of it and getting work and wanting to get work and trying to generate work. And I've kind of pulled back back a bit from it um, a little bit. I've got a lot of work on, but I'm kind of, I don't want it to turn into a normal situation where I'm not actually aware of, or I'm desensitized or plugged out of this very uh, unprecedented situation. Because if I'm not careful, it could just be, I'm just working from home like a normal day. It's like looking at what's essential within what's essential, if that makes sense. Because this situation by its very nature is making us look at what's essential Mm. and concentrate on what's going to not just put money in my depleted coffers, but to enrich me as well. This episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast is brought to you by our friends at We Audition. Now look, we all know that auditioning in a pandemic sucks. You can't find the right partner. And if you do find the right partner, how are you going to connect with them in real time and have the read be seamless? Well, We Audition can help with that. They make it easy to find a partner and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters. 
your audition and being awesome. Not only does We Audition allow you to find partners that can help you really kick ass, you can be a partner that helps other people really kick ass and get paid for it. There's other really great benefits to being a We Audition member. You can have one-on-ones with top casting directors, you can get career advice from industry professionals, and a lot more. Right now, We Audition is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners when you sign up with the promo code VAGABOND25. So just go to weaudition.com, click on sign up, then click on the link where it says promo code. Put Vagabond Actors 25 in the box and you'll get 25% off your membership. Now, back to the show. We've got a really exciting uh, topic and we had this in mind, but it was really prompted by a great response from one of our listeners. Gary, you want to talk about that? So we've been reaching out to everyone, obviously, at the end of every uh, podcast to invite questions or queries or suggestions for topics for us to discuss. And a actor from London by, by the name of Oliver Gatz has sent us an email. And his title of his email was Acting Teachers saviors or saboteurs (laughs) what a great title that is and that's going to put the cat amongst the pigeons and you know it's um it's probably and i don't know how you guys feel about it but i've been not necessarily comfortable but i've been happy to discuss all the other stuff that has come up so far because it's part of my work and things that i address in the workplace but i'm feeling a bit you know a bit you know i'm not too sure about this one because it's kind of we are all we're all actors, but we're all acting teachers and coaches. So, you know, we are kind of putting the spotlight back on ourselves. So he starts off by saying he feels that a good acting teacher can be a massive influence on one's career from shaping your interests, your technique, your job choices, your style of acting. And in his experience, he had a phenomenal mentor in his acting teacher who, for him, unlocked some dormant creative potential. And he's got a number of questions here that kind of follow on. And he says, do you really need someone to get in your head and kick you up the ass? Or is that just laziness on the part of the actor? Or is it fear? And he feels that that's a lot of decision making to entrust in one person. So he wants our thoughts on that, first of all. And then he goes on to talk about the flip side of a inspiring teacher, the plethora of acting teachers, as he terms it, with God complexes. Are they damaging for your career? Or is it just trial by fire, get on with it and try and survive the process and come out with it with what you can? Those are great questions, by the way. Yeah. Great, great questions. We can break these down, but I'm just putting it up. Up, the, up, up front. And he also says, finally, he understands that, you know, you two guys are, are Meisner teachers and I'm very much influenced by Meisner. So there's a whole Meisner influence in our work. How does one know whether a Meisner teacher is dodgy or not? And what is our experiences of that particular technique or any technique? So sort of three things there. So let's start with this idea of finding a teacher that that unlocks some dormant creative potential and pushing you rather than you trying to do it on your own and from a distance. I think it's imperative to have someone, and it doesn't have to be an official teacher, but it has to be someone who can push you and to keep you honest and to keep you moving forward and to be there to hold you, to hold you steady when you feel like you're faltering. 
I know that for me as a teacher, in a lot of ways, it's much easier for me to do that to others than it is for me to do that to myself. Um, when I uh, am working on a scene for myself, it's much easier to turn to a coach or a f- even a friend who's an actor and to and to work through it with them and have them point out things to me that I'm missing than it is for me to just do it on my own. Now, I might be uh, in some instances better at doing it on my own than maybe someone else might be, but in a lot of instances, I'm not. In a lot of instances, I miss things that I that I could have seen. If I was coaching myself, I would have seen those things as the coach and not as the person doing it. So I think that having someone in your corner who is encouraging you and pushing you and and not taking bullshit and um, and loving you and, and being there for you is imperative. Um, and even really established actors, a lot of them go to acting coaches, people who, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio goes to an acting coach. I think, I think a lot of actors right. go to acting coaches to help them. Goes to his, goes to one, you know, I mean, what is he? Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's not, something where anyone who feels like, oh, I'm in a class, that that means that I'm not doing my own work, is uh, that's not a feeling that you should have. You should feel like I'm in class and I'm pushing myself, but also there's someone here who's looking at my journey from the outside and is keeping me more or less on the path of growing as an artist. There's a really great book called Peak Secrets from the New Science of Expertise, which is by Robert Poole and Anders Ericsson. And it's it's a book about, this is where Malcolm Gladwell got his 10,000 hours phrase, that it takes any, any in any discipline, you need to do it for 10,000 hours in order to be excellent at it. And so this is the, these are the people where he got that idea. And what they recommend is that as you grow as someone on the journey of becoming excellent at whatever it is you're, you're pursuing, there will be teachers and coaches that will be able to help you get to the next level. And maybe that coach is only able to help you to get to, you know, one next level. And maybe you'll find someone who is able to help you get, uh, who is able to grow with you. But there's a real place for having someone outside who can watch you on the journey and, and help you take steps to do it. You have to look for that person, maybe, right? It might not be the first class that you go into where you find, oh, this is the the person that is going to to really wake wake up that artistry in myself. But I think that it's really an important habit to be constantly on the lookout for people who might be able to do that in you. I'm still on the lookout for that. I'm still looking for people who can who can wake me up and who can who can inspire me and who can push me to the next level. Um, so I don't, so yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Andrea, what, what are your thoughts? Well, I think it's a big, big big subject. So, you know, just, just I mean, I'm Brian, I'm totally with you on the value of a great coach. And, you know, when you consider other disciplines, whether it's athletics or high level people in business have mentors as well. And yes, as we know, certainly a great number of really prominent working actors have trusted partners in craft development and, and in 
script breakdown and they really work together with the coach on their piece. They work with dialect coaches. I mean, they have some, they have a team, you know? And so I think ultimately a great acting teacher feels like somebody who's, who's on your team. Oliver had asked about whether you need to just sort of survive the process. And it hurts my heart a little bit to hear that because I'm sure that that's how a lot of actors have felt in their classrooms and in their studios. And I hope that none of my students have ever felt that way. I would suggest that that means you need to keep looking for a different setting if that's how it really Mm -hmm. feels to you. I do think you're right. It's really critical to have somebody who can be outside of yourself and the presence of a great instructor as as much craft as you yourself may have allows you to really be free and let go. And that, that, that speaks again to, you know, what we spoke about with, with control. If I can just get out of my own way and be fully present in something with the knowledge that there's a trusted advisor who's got an eye on it and will tell me if I need to make an adjustment, that really helps me to be free. And it helps me to make stronger choices because I'm not worried about, oh my God, I'm doing this whole thing on my own. And so I've got to really stay in the lane and not look like a jerk. Um, mm. Whereas if if I know I've got somebody in my corner who's watching who says, just go for it. Just really give it a try. Take a swing at this thing. I've got your back. Um, then I'm, I'm f- probably going to be far more creative and inventive. And yeah, I'll make mistakes, but... Um, I'll find new things. So I I really agree with you, Brian, on the value of a great coach. You know, what, what to me makes a great coach, certainly somebody, you know, whose content is solid and whose theory is sound and who can articulate clearly, uh, has the language that speaks to you, you know, has intelligence and, and is able to create an atmosphere of growth and support. And it doesn't mean that, that you won't get kicked sometimes because you probably will. You need to be able to take criticism and it has to be as objectively received as possible, even though this is such a personal pursuit, this work, but you do have to allow your instructor to give you the truth. And now how they go about giving you the truth, that's where we get into the kind of classroom that you don't want to be in, I think, right? I mean, I want somebody, the teachers whom I've had and loved, you know, they're all extremely perceptive individuals. They're very instinctive. They are not afraid to display their own personalities, but they also have integrity and they're professional role models for me. And they have a level of humility that accompanies their greatness, you know, that where I really feel that the love of teaching that they share uh, infuses everything. And it, it brings a level of kindness and support and love into the, into the space. And that to me is really critical. And I've been in plenty of, plenty of classes where I didn't feel that love was the key was the key thing. Sometimes we all needed to have our butts kicked around a bit, but, um, but I felt that I was in good hands that, 
that the judgment of my instructors was really sound. And even though I may not have liked to have heard it, it was delivered in a way that was professional and that I needed to hear. So, you know, I I read recently, somebody talked about like the two hour gurus and I thought it was such a great (laughs) phrase uh, because we certainly do see a lot of that, you know, let me fix you in two hours. And there's a lot of technical work that can be, that can be done, uh, with shorter courses. I'm, I'm not at all opposed to that because, you know, we've talked about how technical the work can be, but I think one should be cautious in thinking that you can truly learn to act and develop a craft and develop depth which is going to make you interesting, which is going to be the thing that the audience connects to is your depth, your humanity to develop that in a series of sort of two hour classes about the business or how to nail, you know, a certain kind of shot. Uh, I'd be a little weary of, of that being your only source of, of education. And really when I, when I consider the teachers who I'm most wary of, Ego is the first thing that comes to mind, um, you know, where ultimately it's, it's all about them. That's just the thing that's leading everything, whether it's, and whether it, it shows itself in endless self-promotion or abusive behavior towards the actors or bullying or even jealousy, you know, even jealousy sometimes about the, the talents of the students these to me are the big red flags. If you feel like that teacher's ego is the primary energy in this space, then there's no room for your greatness. And how are you to trust that the primary goal of that person as your mentor is your own excellence? I think it's, it's incompatible. You know, at the same time, you don't want a teacher who, who's too coddling, who's, who's unwilling to call things out and where everything's just wonderful and lovely. And, you know, and if they have students who work or have any prominence, then it's just, just a big old love fest. No, if we're to get at helping students to understand behavior and what's truthful and that understanding comes through a series of whether it's improvisations or script study or scene work or doing theater, you know, however they arrive at all of the, that, that understanding, we as teachers have to match that in our own behavior. We have to show them truthfulness. We have to show them honesty. We have to be in alignment with the purported goals of, of the work. And, you know, we have to be the leaders in the classroom. So like I said, I, I, I really feel that if the ego leads the way, that's that's where, to me, the biggest problems will stem from. Absolutely. And, and being honest can often, that can create a whole world of trouble because sometimes you have to be so honest that you become the villain as a teacher mm-hmm. or at least perceived villain. And what I mean by that is, is you know, you've got to call it as it is. Because obviously it's subjective and it's to do with chemistry and how one actor will be drawn to one teacher and one to another. There are a lot of factors that go into an actor uh, really liking or wanting to work with a particular coach. You know, of course, you want a teacher to inspire, have passion, push, and teach, educate, and you know, be a mentor and be fun and intelligent in the classroom. But ultimately, an acting teacher has got to 
push you to be a self-reliant professional who can step into a situation, a job and do what they have to do. And it opens the bigger question of what teachers and what sort of classrooms and what techniques and methods they use are most useful to an actor. We've got to train actors to do a job and to, to do a job professionally. And it's a profession. And there is a line that can be blurred where there becomes this less than professional experience because maybe you are overawed with the teacher's um, capacity or you require, you know, a father figure or a mother figure. And that can sort of blur the lines of, of the professionalism of like, you've got to come away with practical tools that you can then replicate on the job. I mean, I, I've been to so many classes as a, as a young actor starting out where I had an amazing experience on the stage. The teacher created that experience in me, but I couldn't bloody well take it with me on set hmm. or into rehearsals. And I'm like going, you're not a bad person, but I don't feel like I've got the necessary skills or tools to actually hold myself up either in a casting and get the job and then to do the job. So, I mean, that's one thing. And it's, 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 it's a tricky thing because you're not a psychiatrist. And I've also seen classes turn into sort of huge psychiatrist couches and <laughs> and that also creates a, a state of dependency uh in 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 the students and it's not good and that to me is a bad class and it's bad teaching because there needs to be some kind of utility to what one does and it's difficult to find that line because we're dealing with art Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we're dealing with people's feelings and also getting deep into people's feelings. And that's complicated. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to go from a teacher to someone who's more like a psychiatrist or a shrink or a carer. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I've, I've experienced it in my own in my own class and, and I've shut it down very quickly, but I've also experienced it in other classes, more so in other classes that I trained in as an actor. And, you know, beware of teachers that fan that flame. Mm -hmm. And that has something to do with ego as well, I think. Or it could come from love, I guess. But if, if they want to see a student succeed so much that they want go, oh, well, I'm going to help you and help you and help you and, and fix your problems, then I guess it could come from that. But it can also be, you know, there's, a, there's an incredible amount of power mm -hmm. that because the students are sometimes young and certainly if it's going the right way in a vulnerable place, that there's an incredible amount of power that the, that the teacher will have, which means either that will get into the psychology, which in my view, I mean, there's some justification for delving into why a certain thing is happening. But on the other hand, because you're trying to move away from the intellectualization of things and towards more action, at a certain point, the why of why someone is doing something, that might be homework. That might be something that the actor needs to go away and kind of look at. But going down the rabbit hole of discussing it and arguing about it and all that is just leading it into the wrong place. I think the blurred line is is the very interesting place to to look at, I think. Because like I don't really want I'm not okay with my students being comfortable at least not for too long. I don't think that working from a place of comfort is in the long term very productive. Just like if you were going to a gym and you had a trainer and you were lifting 
and you never pushed yourself. Right. I mean, all you're never going to build the muscle. Absolutely. All true learning really comes from a a shakeup of your existence. Pushing, pushing past where you think you should be. And often with acting, that comfort is I don't feel comfortable doing a certain behavior, or I don't feel comfortable expressing myself in a certain way, or I don't feel comfortable um, expanding my imagination in certain ways. And the delicate line is on the teacher's part, pushing, but also listening to the student so that once it gets into a place where it's more damaging than helpful to be uncomfortable, then you stop and you say, okay, that's, that's where you want to work. Or just, I kind of, I kind of use the image of like, if you think of the, the level of comfort is this bubble that's around you that you want to kind of just edge up to that surface of the bubble and just push past it just a little bit, just a little bit past each time so that you're, you're not breaking it, but you're just kind of pushing it, maybe like kneading dough or, or rolling out dough. You know, you're just kind of stretching it a little bit so that each time you're working in a place that is not exactly in your comfort zone, but also not something that you find abhorrent or abusive. And I think that certain teachers who are these abusive, uh, what, what did Ollie call them? The saboteurs, right? right? Now saboteur is, it's a term that is more, um, like they're trying to screw people up. I, I think that some acting teachers might be trying to screw you up, but, but I think it's more common that it's the ego based as Andrea was saying, or that they just aren't listening hard enough to where the student actually is. What you're talking about there, from my understanding and from my point of view, is that a, a good teacher of any kind, but with an acting teacher in particular, is not just someone who has knowledge, but knows how to deal with people. Because in my experience, people who tend to resort to ego and dogmatism and bullying only have one gear. And that's probably a chink in their acting teaching armor. Mm-hmm. Because not everyone is the same. Not everyone uh, learns in the at the same pace. And this ability to be able to be flexible, just like you are in a scene when you take an acting class, is one big improvisation because you never know what's going to happen. You got you got a bit of a plan, but you know you have a plan, but it never really goes to plan. Um, and you have to deal with what's coming at you from the students. Exactly, a class does yeah. happen. To me, a good teacher knows when to lean in hard and when to give space, and has a few gears. Which, which they can go through on their journey. And I've come up against many acting teachers who only have one gear, and maybe it's a reflection of who they are. Their trust is then lost when it's the same response and same answer to everything, and there's not uh, a willingness or an ability to treat people differently dependent on the situation and the problem. When I first started teaching and I was sitting in on my mentor's classes as much as I could, and I'd, you know, I'd been with him for eight years and with other, with other teachers in the school. And, um, and I remember sitting by his side, watching one of his students and I had, I had like a three quarters of a page of notes because it really helps me to write things out when I'm watching an exercise or a scene. I just, I get it on page. I'm, I'm able to be honest on the page with myself. Then there's always a decision about what I say. And it's, it's a very, it's the key question. And so I was watching this exercise with with a student of his, and I had, a, I had pages really I just on and on. There were so many things that I felt needed to be dealt with in this in this actor's technique, and 
so I leaned over and I said, you know, well, these are, these are the kinds of things that I'm observing because he wanted me to be doing that actively as I was, as I was training to teach. And he said, yes, yes. But she's at a delicate place in her work. She's just been exploring emotional preparation, going deeper. It's a fine, it's a fine state she's in and we'll take it. We'll take it a bit at a time. So I'm going to, I'm going to call her out on this one piece because it's all she really needs to look at right now. Right. And then we've got time for the rest of it. So he wasn't being disingenuous by not calling out every single thing that was wrong. He was being human and he was being compassionate and thoughtful, you know, not trying to overwhelm her. And yeah, how do you walk away from that and make all of those adjustments? Well, maybe set and you're going to have to make a bunch of adjustments, but the best teachers will take that moment of counsel between their own observations of everything that they'd love to see adjusted and then really considering that unique actor as they know them, what does he or she most need to hear and understand right now in order to make progress? It may be a challenge. It may be keep working on it. It may be something gentle, but you know, you have to consider with their best interests in mind, primarily how you're going to respond. Uh, Can I ask you guys, I have to ask you, there's a question that comes up often when we hear horror stories about teachers and mm -hmm. it's a description of the environment as being filled with fear. Yeah. And I'll never forget a friend of mine she was talking about child raising years ago. And she said, I don't have a problem with their, with my children being a little afraid of me. <laughs> and I've thought about that a number of times. Mm. And I wonder, you know, there's that piece of fear, which is you show up on time. You come prepared. You don't dare show up to class, not prepared or not rehearsed or have not having read the material. Right. There's a little bit of fear that maybe well run studios and classrooms have more of a, a respect for the time and energy and the space and the pursuit. But what, what do you think about the place of a, of a bit of fear or a lot of fear in a classroom? Because I think that's what actors are concerned about when they're considering, is this a place where I'll find my savior or my saboteur? I've got a question for you guys. and I just want a yes or no answer. In terms of an acting teacher, if they have been an actor before they've taught for however long, does that make them a better acting teacher? Yes or no? You mean necessarily? Yeah. No. Okay. Andrea? I say yes. I say yes. There's always exceptions to the rule, of course, but I can't imagine... I mean, you know, for instance, the analogy of soccer, there are plenty of football managers who weren't particularly very good footballers, played the game, but weren't particularly good. So I'm not saying you have to be particularly good but have played the game, have been in yeah. a football yes. match, have been yeah. in front of a crowd and trained and had another manager or a trainer telling them that. Um, so it's kind of to what degree, really. I mean, I tell people if they're seeking out acting teachers, look for people who are either actors themselves or have been actors professionally mm -hmm. to a certain standard. Because there are a lot of acting teachers out there who have come straight out of acting school as actors or trained to be acting teachers straight from university or drama school. And 
they've gone on to train. They may well be highly intelligent. I'm not saying they are necessarily, I'm not sure they're all lovely people and all the rest of it. However, there's a frontline experience, which I don't believe you can buy, read about, or conjure up through your imagination. Yeah, I would agree with that. Me too. I want to, I also want to get back to this thing about this question about fear. I think it's not a good environment when the fear is based on if I do my work, I'm going to get hammered. And then maybe it's not fear. Like I think having respect for the person who's guiding the class from the teacher, right? And part of that is you come on time, you come prepared, you don't talk during class, you show respect for the class and for the other people that are working. And if you don't do those things, then you're going to hear about it and I'm not going to be nice about it. But when there's a student who is really putting themselves out there in a good class with a good teacher, there shouldn't be any fear that if you are making an honest effort and you've done the work, there shouldn't be a fear of failure. Because even if you don't achieve in whatever exercise you're doing what you wanted to achieve or what even the teacher wanted you to achieve, just the attempt is is the work of it. So if you're feeling fear because every time you go up to work, you're getting yelled at, um, I don't think that's a very positive experience. Not, not at all. I mean, what you bring up there is a is that fine line between being tough, but in a way that is productive and positive and compassionate. Because yeah, I mean, there'll always be fear. I'm, I don't know if you can remember back to when you train. There'll always be fear in yourself about getting up. The first three months of, at Playhouse West, you, every time I had to get up, I was shitting myself. You should as well, because if you don't, you won't get it out of your system. If, yeah. <laughs> if you pardon the expression, but you know that's different. And I know you. I know that you don't mean that. You're you're talking about if it's the fear of the teacher. And you know, I've been in classes where. Books have been thrown across the room where the teacher is having an explosion about what's going on and they're making a point and I'm just going, you know, what's that got to do with anything? And, you know, put all of that energy into articulating a way of resolving the fucking problem um, yes. with this student. You can be firm. I mean, I have a saying to my, my, my students, sometimes when it gets a little bit, when I have to, because sometimes, as you know, you get tested and you sometimes put your foot on the accelerator sometimes. I'm, I mean, I'm a, I'm a lot less reactive than I used to be in class. I used to teach like an actor. Now I teach like a teacher. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know if you relate to that, guys. But um, So I used to be a lot more reactive. Now I'm, I have the tools to be able to not react and stay with the situation most of the time. It's that fine line, though. It, does, it, it is tricky, and we are all human, and it's, it's about because you can't be a walkover either. Because you're training yeah. people to be professional. And because people and because students are going to push back. Yeah. There are going to be, not everyone, but there are going to be students that push back. But I, I just wanted to say that when you're, when you're looking at good teachers versus bad teachers or uh, saviors versus saboteurs, a good teacher, because everyone is human, is not going to be perfect all of the time. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to step over the line. I think you're going, what you're going to feel with a good teacher, though, is that generally they, like Andrea was saying, that that list that you had, Andrea, was perfect, right? They have the love, the humility, the insight, the instincts. They have all of that stuff. And sometimes they might overreact to something. 
right? Maybe it's rare, but sometimes that could happen. Hopefully they'll recognize that and apologize for it and say that was over the line. And a bad teacher is going to have a a class that is based in those overreactions and in those misguided pushing too much. And I would just say, you know, kind of as a finishing thought, if you're looking at a class, you know, I would start looking, well, what are the students like? Is, what is the vibe in the student body? Do people feel like they're really excited about it? Maybe it's because it's a cult and they're all drinking the Kool-Aid. If the students feel like they're all scared and they don't know what's going on, or, then I don't. that's not the class to be in. You know, I was thinking about this, this topic earlier today and I was just thinking about that song from a chorus line where the actress is in a class, doesn't feel anything. The teacher's saying, it's you, you're, you're at fault. And she said, well, wait a minute this class isn't doing it for me. And so she found another teacher and then it really gelled. So I think at a certain point, students need to be honest with themselves and say, either this is abusive and I am not learning from this person, or I'm just not getting what they're trying to say. And that's totally, totally fine. There are a There are all kinds of different classes that students can go to. And if you feel like you're in a a class that's abusive or the teacher's not listening or they're pushing too much, and maybe you've said, hey, I think you're pushing me too much. And maybe they say, well, that's your problem or whatever, right? And then find a different class, no matter what. There's no um, obligation to be in any of the acting classes. And there's no, and no one teacher has the right formula. It's all a guess. It's all our own interpretation of what we think works in the moment in, at, in the best of times. And so don't feel obligated to stick with any particular class. But also the, the converse is true. If you're going to a class, absolutely. I'm, you know, actors, particularly young actors, don't, don't have enough comparison to make that decision. But they, their feelings, if they trust their instincts and it's really uncomfortable, then get the hell out of Dodge. But, you know, the converse is also true because if you're not being pushed, if you don't feel you're being challenged, if you don't feel like you're growing, if you don't feel like you're being added to, then also leave and go and find another class. Yeah, It's not just a classroom where you can sit, absorb, uh, take home, reread. And no, look. it's got to be active. You know, it's active. And we are dealing with human beings feelings, emotions, and behavior. So that is a delicate situation in and of itself. Uh, and we're not necessarily dealing with it from a academic or intellectual place where we talk about it. We've got to live it. You have to be pushed. You have to be dug into. But, you know, there are ways, as we've been discussing, there are ways to do that. And uh, it's that balance between being pushed and being held accountable and having a teacher who's courageous enough to call these things out, like you were talking about, Andrea, making these calls and pushing students and actually making them face the problem. There's a profession here, and we all know how tough it is. Uh, We don't have to get into all of that. We all know how tough it is and the percentages of people who make a career of it. And, And it's like, well, there has to be an element of discomfort but it's got mm-hmm. to be a healthy discomfort, and I know, I know you're. We're all saying that, but yeah. it's it's a but it's the balance, isn't it? It's 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 tough. It's not a picnic, but it shouldn't be a war either. Yeah. <laughs> um, Andrea, anything to add to that? No, I think um, I think we've covered it. I'm wondering if if um, all, I'm trying to anticipate Oliver's questions. Um, um, we didn't talk I, about the Meisner teachers. Yeah, oh, the bad Meisner classes. Yeah, well, well, I think yeah. I think we've touched upon though some of the things that can happen. I mean, it's universal, isn't it? 
of the Meisner work is that you start at a very, very simple level, right? And so that's challenging for some students to give over to. Um, and and it's really up to the teacher, this, the, the speed at which they move them through the phases of the work. There's sort of generally, a, you know, a program in mind and a timeline in mind and certain markers for what you want to see an actor understanding before you move them along through the paces. But every improvisation is unique unto itself that you really do have to have a very skilled teacher guiding the way and setting the tone. And um, so I just think there are a number of people who've gotten their own training, maybe third, fourth, fifth hand, and have, I think there are some teachers out there who sort of put their own mark on what they call Meisner. And there are others who are just are insistent about the reason why their work with Sandy at that time was the penultimate work and um, why they're more... Yeah, you should stay right, away from what? anyone who says they have the answer. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, Meisner was even at the end of his work, you know, changing some of his ideas about some things. So, you know, we're, it's a, it's an art form and it, it develops and grows as well. And I think, I think we all need to, to understand that it's a dance. It's, it's really a dance. And, um, if your dance partner doesn't really know what he or she is doing or, or knows, but can't articulate it, or knows and wants to lord it over you and knows it but wants to keep it for him or herself so he so he or she can keep enrolling more and more and more students and keep them on the line for longer and longer and longer and make more and more money and not really advance the students along like all of those things are the signs of somebody who's who's out of balance with with you know the responsibility that they have as a teacher so i would say if if your red flags are going up um you know, do some, do some serious, ask yourself a series of questions just as you would as, as a character in a, in a, in a scene, you know, what do I want? Am I getting it? How do I feel about my partners in this venture? Um, is this the kind of person I want to be with? Is this, is this a place where I can put my trust and do I feel like I'm growing in all the ways I want to grow? I have heard some horror stories about people who've gone to Meisner classes and the issue as far as I've heard it and I'm, and it's people who don't know about the technique reporting back to me about what they've experienced from one or two classes. So I don't know where the truth really lies, but what it sounds like in certain classes that profess to be Meisner based is a really interestingly, a real profound lack of listening encouraged in the students, which is really strange where students, the more they yell at each other, the more they're encouraged or something along those lines. And I've heard that a few times where it's just a a screaming fest. And, you know, as I've, as I mentioned before about the energy and some of that is vocal, there's a, there's a fair amount of being loud and being behaviorally free in any Meisner class or any hopefully acting class, but at the core of any Meisner class is going has got to be listening really profoundly to what's going on around you. And if that is not at the core of whatever the Meisner class you're taking is, you're not yep. taking a Meisner class. There's something <laughs> else going on. So 
and so that's what I've heard in terms of the horror stories. And, and as you expand out from just the core concept of listening, and we've mentioned it a few times tonight, as you go down that journey of really listening, then you get to really empathizing. And through empathizing, you get to love this other human being that's in front of you. And maybe you still hate them in the moment, but in general, there's a, there's a real, in the great Meissner classes that I've been to, there's a real sense of love and acceptance that is in the air and is, and is coming from the teacher. It starts with the teacher doing that and it, and it emanates through the students. And so if that's not there, then go and find a different Meisner class. It's not just Meisner, but it's any acting um, technique or any acting uh, system or class of uh, where I've heard horror stories. And it's interesting because Sanford Meisner actually said the repetition exercise, and for those who don't know, it's the first thing that uh, anyone deals with when they do the Meisner technique, is that the he said that the repetition exercise is the easiest thing uh, to teach. And that's the problem because anyone can teach it. Mm -hmm. That applies to everything because the horror stories that I've heard, and it's not just in the Meisner technique, but in, in any kind of acting class is when things start to veer off into some kind of self-help psychotherapeutic situation. Now, as we've already discussed, there is an element of therapy to acting because all art is therapeutic. And there is some element of having to deal with the nature of our own emotions, psychology, and inner world. However, it's when it turns inward into trying to, as you mentioned earlier, solve the problems of the individual rather than giving them a, a set of tools and techniques. And that often happens when teachers have not had enough experience of the technique in actuality, in practice. Right. Right. The other side, flip side of that, is this stay away from carbon replicas uh, of any one technique. You know, there are teachers out there who just create carbon copies of what they've taught. I say seek out people who have had experience, are, are maybe working from a particular system, but they are giving you tools rather than a dogmatic approach. Tools that you can then piece together for your own technique. There has That's to be right. a space. There has to be a space between the tool and you, the actor, to have an interface with, so it becomes something that you own and use yourself. And mm -hmm. I'm just going to end with a couple of words of advice. If a teacher or a coach refers to themselves as a master, run. Because I don't know about you, but a master is someone who spent many, 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 many years, probably, and can be attributed the title of a master in the latter third of their of their lives, perhaps. And I'm seeing... Well, you must be getting close, though, Gary. Well, you know, okay. it's also... That's, that's something that is attributed to you from the outside, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing, if someone is referred to as a guru, run. <laughs> and, and picking up on what Andrea says, if a teacher confuses you with their teaching, it means that they are confused too. If you ask them to explain what they mean or they are tr what they are trying to get you to do, then and they, they, they don't know or they can't, then they don't know what they're talking about. I love it. <laughs> That's great. I think we did this one. Yeah. I, I... Have you guys seen anything? Yeah. It's knocked you out? 
Yeah, Joe Bonamassa is an American, um, it's always me with the music, I suppose, an American blues musician who's just phenomenal. And he's put together um, a funding event for musicians who are particularly hard hit during the crisis. And uh, he did a live performance last night. It was streaming on Facebook and maybe other platforms as well. And uh, it was just phenomenal musicianship. So you could probably see a recording of it, but he's putting money directly into the pockets of musicians, which is just, it's just a beautiful thing. And, uh, and another thing that I, that jazzed me was you may have noticed just as a headline that, um, that Tribeca and YouTube have gotten together and they've launched, they're launching a virtual film festival coming up at the end of May, I think May 29th for about a week into the first week of June and it's called We Are One, and there's going to, and they've brought in a number of other major film festivals for content: Sundance, Cannes, Berlin, Venice, Toronto. And so, keep your eye out for that. That's going to be free content um, that will be available, uh, obviously, in the YouTube format. And uh, I think that can be really uh, a terrific, a terrific thing for people to experience new, new material. So keep your eyes out for that. Great. Gary, what do you got? I have been inspired by Andrea's continuing um, suggestions of music. So <laughs> so I got up this morning and the first thing I did was listen to some music. And uh, I just thought, you know what, classical, because you've been going on about opera and musicals and, and classical music. So I, I, I dug out a piece um, by Vaughan Williams, a very sort of English mm. piece called The Lark Ascending. And mm. it was a beautiful sort of positive. It's, it's like, a, it's like if I were to describe it visually, it's like the sun is rising on a very pastoral English um, scene. And it was wow. very beautiful. So as you can imagine. So I recommend that during these dark times, a uh, piece of music called The Lark Ascending by Vaughan Williams. I'm writing it down right now. Wonderful. <laughs> You know, and that's dedicated to Andre. Oh, thank you. They're very sweet. Very sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Brian, anything? Um, Yeah, actually, I, uh, on Netflix, there is a show called Middle Ditch and Schwartz, which are, they are two improvisers and they do an hour long, completely improvised show. I think there's three of them in this first season on Netflix and they are incredible. The the sense of freedom and the sense of character work and the sense of humor uh and just being loose it's just a, just a breath of fresh air and really 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 funny and fun to watch and and an inspiration to watch. So I I'd, I'd recommend watching if you have Netflix Middle Ditch and Schwartz. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, um, and I actually used the Vagabond Actors Twitter feed to to tweet this out, is I listened to um, the showrunner for Billions, and he also wrote with his partner Rounders, he was interviewing Damian Lewis, uh, who was the star of Billions on Showtime, and they had a they had a really great discussion about Damian Lewis's process and his um, experience auditioning for a band of brothers and it was just a great a great hour and a half listen um 
to a really great actor talk really eloquently about how he goes about preparing for his role, how he goes about dealing with the amount of work that he has to be the number one on a on the call sheet of a of a big show like that. Really great interview and really great listen. So I I recommend that. Sounds good. That's, the podcast is called The Moment with Brian Koppelman. So check that out if you have time. And uh, and I think that does it for me. That's fantastic. Wonderful. Well, thank you to our listeners for, um, for staying with us on this, on this intense topic. Um, hopefully it's, it's given some guidance to, to you in terms of what to look for in a great acting coach. And you can find us again at Vagabond Actors on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And, um, Brian, where can they find you? They want to reach out. Yeah, I am on all three of those platforms at Brian Casp with an I and an E at the end. I'm going to have to stop saying that soon, but that's where I am. <laughs> and Gary? Where can uh, they yeah, me too. I'm on all three platforms, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, but if you want to drop me a line, I think the best bit, the best thing to do is to go to my website, garycondes.com, C-O-N-D-E-S.com, uh, and just drop me a, an email on the uh, contact page. Wonderful. And a huge shout out to Oliver Gatz. Thank you for your feedback and for uh, stimulating us to have this conversation. Hopefully we've answered some questions. And if we didn't, send us a note and we're going to get onto it in our next episode. And if anyone else has uh, topics or suggestions or questions about the business or the craft of acting, uh, let us know. Wonderful. Thank you. Oh. Is this where the drums come in? Is this where the drums come in? This is where the drums come in. Here come the drums. <laughs> Bye. Bye. All righty.